Hi everyone, I'm Ryan North. It's spring break around here for all of us, and so we don't have a new episode for you this week. But because last week's episode, Give Me an Example, the Parenting Tools edition, uh, was one of our most downloaded episodes of late, what we decided to do was just republish the original Give Me an Example episode uh, from the summer last year. So here is Give Me an Example. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with new content next week. Greetings. My name is Chris Turner. Tapestry is the adoption and foster care ministry of Irving Bible Church in Irving, Texas. Join me today, our executive director, Ryan North. Hello, Chris. And his wife, Kayla. Hey, Chris. Hi, guys. I thought we'd do something a little different today. Uh, Anyone who's been in the connected parenting sphere or has read The Connected Child is probably familiar with certain phrases and concepts, but maybe not everyone listening to this podcast is. We thought we'd have some fun with a kind of sort of game show style where we ask some questions of our two guests and we get some answers that might be beneficial to our parents called Give Me an Example. All right. I'm ready. Do you have to buzz in? <laughs> that would have been a lot more fun if we had gotten buzzers, but our budget does not allow for that at this time. Maybe we could yell our own names. <laughs> she could yell Kayla. I could write, yell Ryan. I'm pretty sure they're going to be able to tell the difference in our voice when we start talking. Just the thought. I just, instead of a buzzer for Chris, that's all I'm thinking. <laughs> Actually, what I think probably should happen is Kayla should have the first crack at the answer. Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. So, Kayla, give me an example of how to use a yes sandwich. Uh, I love yes sandwiches. Although, I will give fair warning that eventually your kids will pick up on this and be like, you just told me no. <laughs> so, just just fair warning. But yes sandwiches are great way to give our kids more yeses. Because, right, we want to... If this is a new concept to you, a really good way to... Um, kind of gauge where you are on this journey is kind of look at how much you say no to your kids because a no represents kind of our structure and a yes represents our nurture, right? So right. we want to we, we want to give that balance of structure and nurture. And so when we look at how much we're saying no and try and say yes more often, we can give a little bit more nurture because I find myself giving way too many no's. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... But sometimes you have to say no. I mean, that's just how it goes. And so sometimes you can be a little bit creative and you can give a yes sandwich. So, for instance, my teenager comes and says, hey, mom, can I go spend the night at my friend's house? Well, it's like a school night and mm. we're not going to spend the night tonight. So I could say no. And then he's like, oh, you never let me spend the night with my friends. Never right? Anything. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it just totally goes out of control there. Right. But. Instead, I could say, hey, that's a great idea. I I know you've been wanting to spend the night with your friend for a while. We can't do it tonight because it's a school night. So why don't we call them now and see if they're available on Saturday night or pick a date, you know, put it on the calendar. My kids, oftentimes, they will ask me for something and I'll say, yeah, we can do that sometime. But then it never actually happens. Mm -hmm. And so it really to them is just a no. But if I if I say, yes, we can sure do that. It can't happen right now, 
but I could do, we could do it this weekend or we could do it on this date. Like for instance, the other day, one of my kids wanted me to play a game with them. And I, for some reason I couldn't do it right then. I think he asked me like at bedtime, like literally mm-hmm. it said, it's time to brush teeth and get in bed. And he wanted to play a game and we were already running late. And I said, buddy, I can't do that right now. Cause it's time to get in bed. So I, so my yes sandwich was, yes, I would love to play Candyland with you. Let's go put it on the calendar right now because we can't do it right now, but we'll put it on the calendar. So I start with a yes. Yes, we can. I, in the middle is my no, is that we can't do it right now because it's bedtime. Right. And then at the end is my yes of, but let's go put it on the calendar. And I try not to use the word but because then but has that kind of negative connotation. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, so let's go put it on the calendar right now to remind me to do it with you tomorrow. And so then that way, the next day he'll go... Remember, it's on the calendar. We're okay. going to play. We're going to play. They always remember. Oh, they always if remember. If you tell them any kind of future date tomorrow, next tomorrow, week. Exactly. They will always, always remember, even after you've forgotten. Yes, absolutely. And so you can use it in so many instances, but just fair warning, once you use it enough, they definitely catch on. So as a concept, it sounds like it was something that I fell in love with as a concept the first time we learned about it, but I would not execute it well, and I would like, ex- <laughs> and I would do stuff like, because like, hey, can we... Um, <clears throat> Can we go go play, you know, out in the front yard? And I'd say, I don't think so. Maybe later, just not now. And Kayla's like, yeah, perfectly executed no sandwich. <laughs> he was trying, though. He I was, was really trying. trying. I think I can get a yes sandwich right now. Yes, you can. Thank you. <laughs> not right now, but I'm sure you can at some future point. Well played. I think I get that point, don't yes. I? Point, okay. point to Kayla. Okay, good. Really playing for points? <laughs> Absolutely, it's always a competition. <laughs> Are you keeping track? Uh, I'll keep track. Okay, good. Yeah, one, Make one, sure one zero keep... is going to stretch his memory. Now <laughs> pulling out the notepad and the pen. Give me an example of anything that can be a choice. Even things like going to bed, getting a shower, uh, stopping video games, or you know, phone usage. That those sorts of things. So the choice thing is really cool for dads because um, most of us tend to be the more authoritarian-leaning people and just, Mm -hmm. um, hey, I told you to go shower, go shower. But if you give children a choice or more specifically the illusion of a choice, uh, because even when you create that choice, you're you're still having two two alternatives. So, hey, you need to go take a shower. Well, I don't want to shower. Okay, well, you have two choices. You can shower before dinner or you can shower after dinner. The goal is that we have a shower. Mm-hmm. Does it really matter if we shower now or in 45 minutes? And the answer is usually no. But boy, we kind of want to like now. dig, dig right. in because we said it has to be now. And if they don't do it now, they're disrespectful and disobedient. And we're permissive parents. And none of that's true. Would you like to wear the yellow shirt or the green shirt? You know, sometimes we complicate choices. Let's not. Let's just give them two equal alternatives. Because we need to remember that a choice is picking between two equal alternatives. Eat your broccoli or no television is not a choice. It is a threat and a consequence. Mm -hmm. If you don't do what I want you to do, you will pay the price. That's not a choice. So we can turn anything into a choice by very quickly coming up with two alternatives. But if you've had a hard day and you're just not mentally sharp or you really are struggling to come up with a choice, you can always go to what we call the go-to choice can do it or I can do it with you, mm-hmm. which is really, we call that the go to choice because that applies to almost every situation and it creates um, a great level of connection because the alternative is, 
hey, you can do it alone or we can do it together. You tell you can tell a story about uh, our, our one son who just didn't like it when it was his day to unload the dishwasher. Oh, yeah. We had one that, that hated to unload the dishwasher. Well, it was probably still hates to unload the dishwasher. <laughs> and would just drag his feet and like snail speed. I'm talking like takes forever. And he only had to unload half. Like our boys would do it one day. Girls would do it the other day. You know, we'd alternate days. And he would just drag his feet and just like take one thing out at a time. And I'm trying to like, I'm ready to reload the dishwasher and need him to stop, just get it done, right? And I'm nagging and I'm begging and I'm threatening and I'm saying, if you don't do this now, you're going to have to do it by yourself tomorrow or whatever, you know? And then I'm like, I I could make this a choice. And so I'm like, okay, bud, would you like to, do you want to finish it by yourself or would you like me to help you? And he kind of looked at me like, this is a trick question. Like, what? why would you help me? This is my chore. And so then he looks at me and he goes, I want you to help me. You know, like, I think that's what I want. I think that's it. And I'm like, okay. I said, do you want to do the top or the bottom? So now he's at a place where he needs some control. And so I not only gave him the choice of, do you want me to do it with you or do it by yourself? Now I'm giving him the choice. Do you want to do the top first or the bottom first? Do you want to do the cups or the bowls? You know, I can, I can give him layers of choices. I can, Mm -hmm. I can put bunches of choices together to f- so that he feels like he's in more control. He's still doing what I want him to do. Right. And I've had parents will say, well, yeah, but obviously they're going to want to do it with you. And I'm like, yeah, they are because they want that connection. And then eventually they'll just do it by themselves mm-hmm. because that's what we've seen. I mean, we, we have seen this when we've done it with our kids that he doesn't ask me to help him with a dishwasher except, I mean, maybe, and this was probably two or three years ago that mm. we did this and probably the first, I don't know, few weeks he asked me every time. Mm. And most of the time I said, yes, there were a few times that I said, I can't right now, buddy, you're going to have to do it by yourself today. And he was okay with it. He accepted the no and he, he did it anyways, mm. but he asked and I loved that, that he asked, you know, mm. and then now he doesn't even ask. He just does it. I mean, he doesn't drag his feet. He just does it. Mm. Um, and so that's the, that's what I find, you know, when I, Tell, talk to people about this like choices and they're like whoa if I use that go to choice they're always going to want me to do it with them I'm like yes because they crave connection mm-hmm. and when you give them that connection then they realize they can do it by themselves I mean yes can my child unload the dishwasher by himself absolutely did he want me to be with, there with him when he did it absolutely and so I did point to Kayla <laughs> I got another point you I, I think just, you did really well, though, honey. Like, you realize I just edit that out? <laughs> <laughs> but for but the integrity won't. of our listeners. That's right. We want the podcast. Because you, you said the word Ryan before, so I actually point to Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along, give me an example of how parents can be a thermostat rather than a thermometer. Ryan wants this one. Ryan wants this one. <clears throat> yeah, because I, I like this concept, and I, and I mostly like this concept because it's something that I had to adjust and I had to learn for myself. And so it's just purely a definition of words, like what is the function of a thermometer and what is the function of a thermostat? And so um, for the most of us, our natural inclination is to be a thermometer, and that is to take the temperature of the situation. But a thermostat, the function of a thermostat is to regulate the temperature. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, this ties into the all of the responsibility in the parent-child relationship to act like an adult is yours. Because I think this really, really illustrates that point that I don't need to 
measure the temperature. I need to regulate the temperature. And regulate the temperature, I need to understand where my kid's lids flip and understand what that looks like, understand what the tools and strategies are to get that upstairs brain and downstairs brain reconnected. I need to understand flight, fight, and freeze responses and understand, recognize those in my children. Now, on an earlier episode, we talked about how you need to be the world's leading expert in your child. Mm. I think that once you are the world's leading expert in your child, transitioning from a thermometer to a thermostat is much easier. So when have you been a thermostat for your kids? When have I been a thermostat for my kids? Um, The first example that comes to mind, uh, and this is with our our almost four-year-old now, she get when she like bonked her head, and so um, that's a you know it, it's she's in pain, and so her, you know that response comes from the primal part of her brain, and she's crying, and so instead of just saying hey you know stop crying you're not hurt you're fine and all the things that we say to children typically. I started asking her open-ended questions that she had to answer, and so engage that upstairs part of her brain. Mm-hmm. Instead of just going, uh, thermometer, Kayla, the baby's upset. <laughs> Thermostat, intervening in the situation and helping my child calm and soothe and, and regulate her. So co-regulating that situation and getting her from a place where she was crying and in distress to a place where she could, in sentences, tell me what had caused that. And then we kind of move forward. Point to right. Yes. I don't have anything to add to that. All right. Give me an example of a kid pushing his or her parents' buttons. Oh, I'll take this one. I think this is pretty common. I mean, any parent's going to say, uh, yeah, my kid pushes my buttons all the time. <laughs> I think we have to dig a little deeper into that, though, because the kid's pushing your buttons and they're your buttons. And I think that's the that's the key to this this question, really, mm-hmm. is they're my buttons. And so when my kid pushes them, instead of going, ah, they're pushing my buttons all day long, they've been pushing my buttons. I think the key is to say, why does that bother me so much? Mm. You know, when we look at behaviors, there's certain behaviors that drive me crazy. And Ryan will look at me and be like, I don't know why that's bothering you. That's, that's kind of weird. Like, why, why is it, why is that setting you off so much? Why is that really bothering you? And the same is true for him. Like there are certain behaviors that our kids do that make him go, oh, why do they always do that? And I'm looking at it going, that's not really that big a deal, mm-hmm. you know? And those are the behaviors that we start to kind of question, okay, what's behind that behavior? Why does that bother me so much? Because, I mean, there's certain behaviors that both of us are irritated by, right? right. There's certain behaviors that, that just bother us both equally, but then there's a lot of things that just bother one or the other. And so when we start to, to dig into that. So like an example for me would be one of our kiddos is a huge daddy's girl. I mean, everything revolves around dad, right? And so probably three or four years ago, Ryan was a varsity soccer coach and he would be gone several nights a week coaching games. He was gone, you know, till dinner time because they'd have practice afterwards during Mm -hmm. soccer season. And she would get really upset about all sorts of things and want daddy. Mm. And it really bothered me. I mean, it was like this... Well, he's not here, so you're going to have to deal with me or just be mad. And I would find myself like getting really like, what's going on with you? Why, why am I not good enough? And mm. that's when I went, ooh, mm. this is me. This is my stuff. This is not her. I mean, 
she wants dad. I mean, and Ryan would be like, honey, we have six children. One of them wants me more than you. Can I just have this one? I mean, really? And he couldn't figure out why this was bothering me so much. And, and so as we were talking about, you know, like leftover issues and our own stuff and looking at our own history, and I started going, why is this? Because it wasn't about that she wanted dad. It was that she was rejecting me mm. and that she was showing favoritism to him. So when I started to look back at it, I have a brother who's younger than me by eight years. And wow. so, you know, I was basically an only child until I was eight. Mm. And so then he came along and he was the youngest grandkid on one side of the family and one of the youngest on the other side of the family. And, and so, you know, Oh, there's another baby after all these years. It's so fun. It's so wonderful. And everybody adored him. And you know, that didn't like stop when he was a baby. Like it just Mm. continued. He was kind of the favorite and not just with my parents, but with grandparents, he was just kind of that, you know, everybody loved him no matter what he did. It didn't matter. And I felt kind of that underlying rejection mm. because I was being rejected for him. And so I didn't really realize how much it had bothered me growing up until my child began to reject me. Mm. And it was for her dad. I mean, it wasn't like it was she was rejecting me for like some neighbor that we barely knew. I mean, it was, it was her dad. It was a good person to reject me for, if, right. if that makes sense. But I realized it was my button that she was pushing, and it was my stuff. It wasn't like this big, major thing from my life that I thought, oh, I've got this trauma in my past. Mm -hmm. But it was like that leftover kind of baggage stuff that all of a sudden I was feeling this rejection from my daughter, and it was like that stuff creeping up from my childhood. So, Uh, If if I could just add something to that, that since she has become aware of that, her relationship with our daughter has improved. Absolutely. And again, when we talk about, you know, what are your buttons that your children push? Sometimes, I think, if we're honest, sometimes those buttons are being intentionally pushed. But in this case, they weren't. Like, Mm -hmm. she had no idea. She just really was in distress. And And his dad's her protector. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and and Kayla had no idea that, that this favoritism shown to her brother from her childhood bothered her until she was confronted it by somebody in her 30s. Mm. And so just amazing how, um, how well, there's so much we need to come to terms with because, because she's right. That is her button. It's not her child's button. It is her button. And I think one of the things that we would tell parents is, look, if you don't want to have, if, one of the ways you can have less conflict with your child is to have smaller buttons. Mm. And the only way you get a smaller button is by working through, through your stuff. And so, um, but it has been kind of fun to see, um, you know, the other night there were thunderstorms in town and she was woken by them and came down and she sat in my lap for a few minutes and then she went and laid next to, next to her mom and that was soothing enough for her that she was actually able to fall asleep again. So it's been kind of fun to watch how this relationship had like buttons in it and how nothing about my child's behavior has essentially changed except that her mother has realized what the button is mm-hmm. and has been able to process that. And now there's an improved relationship, better connection, um, and it's just really fun to see. For me, just recognizing it changed my reaction to her, and that was what helped improve the relationship because I recognized that I was overreacting whenever she would say she wanted daddy. I mean, I was, I was like almost mean to her about this wanting dad. I mean, she was like five. Right. I was like, 
I wasn't very kind to her in my reactions, which was causing more of a wedge. And I think if we're if those wedges are driven between a parent and a child in that relationship and you don't do something about them, they only get bigger. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing that our relationship was was drifting apart. We weren't as close and I couldn't figure out why. And it was my behavior. It was my reaction to her, not something she was doing intentionally. Mm-hmm. Okay, how about give me a few examples of ways you can give your child voice. There's lots of ways we can give our child voice. I think an easy way to give our child voice is by giving choices, um, by allowing them to ask for compromises. Our kids feel heard when we will listen to them just in something simple like, well, could I do this first? So for instance, today, my oldest, he needed to clean his room before he could have screen time. And he said well, mom, there's a soccer game that's on right now and I really want to watch it. Can I watch the soccer game and then I'll go clean my room right away? Now, I knew his room was a total disaster. (laughs) It wasn't like a five-minute pick-up-your-room job. But I also know that he's good about doing that kind of thing. Like, if he tells me that he'll do it when he's done, he will. And he did. He did a beautiful job. And so I could... I could have been hard-nosed and said, nope, you can watch it when you're done. I guess you better hurry, mm. you know, and made him go clean up his room, and he would have done a half job on his room trying to get back to the game that had already started. Right. Or I could do what I did and say, sure, bud, just make sure when the game's over, you go and get your room clean. Because I took into consideration, he asked me very respectfully. He didn't go, but mom, the game's already on. You know I mean? He, he was very respectful. So I think giving our kids voice... He knows he can ask me that. He knows Mm -hmm. that he doesn't have to whine and gripe and complain for me to hear him. But that's taken a while. You know, we still have other kids who whine and gripe and complain first. And so I think just listening to what our kids have to say and respectfully responding to them gives them a voice. Um, I mean, I want to be heard. If somebody asks me to do something, I want them to listen to what I have to say and not just expect me to salute and do what they say. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I th- think sometimes we we focus on the actual verbal communication, but as as a means of empowering our children, because because a lot of our kids have essentially been voiceless, right? Right. So, um, you know, Kayla was talking in the previous question about what her buttons are. So, I speak a lot um, in not in terms of like the volume of words that come out of my mouth on a daily basis. Um, I love public speaking. It's one of my favorite things that I get to do. And I realized probably I don't know, a year and a half ago maybe that one of the reasons that I like it is that my voice was not heard in the house growing up. Mm-hmm. So um, my dad has a pretty big personality and um, a pretty loud and pretty vocal guy. My mom's pretty vocal. My brother's pretty vocal. My older brother's pretty vocal. And so A, being heard in the house was hard. But also, it was a very sort of paternal-driven family. And mm-hmm. so whatever my dad wanted to do, we did. Uh, wherever he wanted to go, we went. And so I learned pretty early on that, that speaking up on those things didn't matter. Mm. And that if I wanted to speak on things, I uh, was not heard. I was just given the do-as-I-say kind of, kind of answer. And so I remember standing on a stage one time and looking out and thinking to myself, I just finally realized why I like this. <laughs> Because I get to get all of my words out and nobody will interrupt me. <laughs> I have something to say and there are people who are going to sit and listen. Mm-hmm. And, and in a lot of ways, whenever I get the chance to speak to groups, whether they're 
10 people or 500 people or whatever, it doesn't really matter. I always stand up to think to myself, I got to get all my words out. <laughs> and I think that's part of why I like it so much. It doesn't make me nervous. I don't, I'm not concerned by it. I just really like it because that is now, I am basically giving seven-year-old Ryan a voice. Every, I feel like I'm giving seven-year-old Ryan a voice every time I get to do that. Mm-hmm. Another way that we, we give voice to our kids, um, you know, a lot of times when kids aren't like really like verbal, um, but we do want to get their thoughts and feelings out, right? Because I think when we, when we tell people, when the value of giving voice to a child is letting them know that their thoughts and feelings matter, which then translates that if my thoughts and feelings matter, mm-hmm. I must matter. Yeah. And so one of the things that, um, you know, with, with our son is uh, not every day, but every now and then he'll text, we'll text each other while I'm at work. And that's just really a great way for us to talk about things. And sometimes I think he feels more comfortable asking for things if he texts me than if he does in person. Mm-hmm. Kayla, as they have these journals, um, and I'm, maybe you use a different name with it, with our two oldest daughters, and they write to each other. So Kayla will write to the girls and go put it in their room. They'll read it in a day, couple of days, whatever, and then they'll respond. Because uh, one of our daughters um, was really, really struggling expressing her feelings. But she's doing much better expressing her feelings, writing them down mm-hmm. as a means of process. So we've given voice to her feelings, and she hadn't said a word. Wow. So I think that parents need to be creative. You know, there's always, most things in life are multifaceted. So we can always do everything at like level 101, but we can go deeper in things too and be creative in our parenting. Because we're, we're getting voice to half the kids in our house, and they're not really saying anything with their, their actual physical voices. Yeah, I see that with one of our boys too. In that he's he's very creative in art in artistic sense. He loves you know finger paints and crayons and drawing. And uh, <clears throat> we uh, we sponsor a couple of kids in Rwanda in an orphanage there. And uh, we were getting ready to send a little care package with letters and whatnot. And I encouraged all all the boys to either write a letter or draw a picture or something. And he did this great picture uh, for the girl that we sponsor where he used different colors of construction paper and he cut out shapes and mm. glued them on all on, you know, all on the, the one big page. And it was fantastic that, you know, my, my seven year old can express himself that way in a way that I didn't even think about Yeah, until he yeah. actually did it. So. so one of the questions we get is how do you give voice to nonverbal children? We get to say, well, as it happens, we have a nonverbal child in our, in our house. And that is difficult. But you know, with help from her speech therapist, we've come to help her express herself so she knows some sign language. And she can ask for, you know, she can ask to have her needs met with some of the sign language. So she, she's expressing what she wants. We also have this, um, these pictures. And so when we give her choices... We'll give her like actual picture choices and mm. she can choose what she wants out of that. Uh, we also will hold up the two finger thing and say, you can do this or you can do that. And then she'll grab the choice she wants. <laughs> and so there, there are ways to get our children to express their feelings and to, to voice what they want and what they need. Um, you just have to be creative about it as a parent because it's, um, there is more than meets the eye on this one, in my opinion. Mm. When, we, when we learn to give our daughter who's nonverbal, when we learn to give her choices and give her some ways to express what she needed we literally gave her a voice even though she only says a few random words not Mm -hmm. most of which are not in context she's learning to mimic some words Mm -hmm. um but only a few of them are really in context and so 
she used to just cry all the time. She just whined and whined and whined because she couldn't express herself. Mm-hmm. She had no voice. And now, even though she can't say, Mommy, I want something to eat, she can sign eat. Mm. And then I can give her a choice of two options and she can pick which one she wants. She used to be the most demanding of my kids mm-hmm. because she cried and just demanded attention by her cries. Mm-hmm. Because she had no other because means she of communication. She didn't know how to communicate. Mm. And now she's really one of the least demanding of my kids. <laughs> because as long as you, you know, give her regular meals and regular, you know, something to drink on a regular basis and keep her diaper clean and, you know what I mean, just meet her basic needs, she's a pretty easygoing kid. Mm-hmm. And when she needs something, she lets you know, but not in a screechy, screamy, crying kind of way. On a regular basis. Mm-hmm. It's typically she gets your attention and then we'll sign or we'll, you know, you can ask her, do you want to eat? And she'll sign, please. You know, like, yes, that's what I want. You got it. You know, or she'll go. Mm. Mm, yeah, she's, she'll do stuff like that. But she has a voice now. And so she's actually a lot easier to be around than she used to be because she now has a voice. Mm. So I think this is a key, a key thing in terms of, of hope and healing for children because we can see in my nonverbal child that once we gave her the means to express herself and express her needs, um, some tools for her, that a lot of her behaviors, what we would you know, colloquially term as fussiness in a child, right. those subsided and has moved from being the most demanding child to not the most demanding child. Mm. But when we, when we think about that in terms of children who are verbal, who don't have her specialized needs, and we don't give them the means to express themselves, and we don't give them that voice, we don't make the connection between we haven't given them that, that voice and these, and these negative behaviors that we don't want. Parents can do a few things. One, we seek correcting strategies, right? Because that's, that's, that's what we want. We want this, we do want this to stop. Mm-hmm. But once we get and understand that it's not just about stopping the behavior, but it's about addressing the underlying need, then people can really wrap their minds around connecting strategies. It's the empowering strategies uh, that sometimes people have prob- you know, struggle the most with because that's not how we were raised as children. Right. And I know a lot of these tools have their, have their feet in two camps here because giving voices of your connecting strategy was also an empowering strategy because it allows somebody to express themselves. And once you allow somebody to express themselves, a lot of those negative behaviors subside. Toddlers are referred to as the terrible twos. And part of that's connected to they know what they want. They just have, they don't have the abilities to express their needs. Mm-hmm. And so they're frustrated right. and they tantrum. Well, could it be possible that my eight-year-old is frustrated because he doesn't know how to express what he needs? Could it be that my eight-year-old is frustrated because in the house he grew up with, if, if he asked for what he needed, something bad happened? Mm-hmm. If he expressed his needs, something bad happened, so he learned, don't express your needs. And that's why I love the way it's phrased, give voice. They don't develop a voice. You have to give it to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the You same have to empower them with that. The same, I think, is true for the kid because you've got the one extreme where they just stop asking for things because of their history. But then you also have the other extreme where they've learned that if I whine and cry and, you know, am loud enough that somebody will do something. And so we have to then give them an appropriate voice because they may have a very, very loud, demanding, whiny, squeaky voice. You know, they may cling to you and be the neediest kid. And you're like, oh, this kid's got a voice. All right. I hear that voice. But the key is to give them 
a voice that you can hear, mm-hmm. you know, a voice. And so we often will say, can you give me words I can understand? Mm-hmm. Can you try that again with respect? Some of mine will, will go, I'm really hungry. I used to go, stop whining. <laughs> you know, and I would whine back at them. And I'm like, well, that's not really good. I need to model better behavior, right? And so I'll say, ooh, can we try that again without whining? Mom, I'm really hungry. Can I have something to eat? Oh, absolutely. Let's get you something to mm-hmm. eat, you know? And so when we give them the words and we don't respond to the whining, not ignoring them, but we give them a voice and we say, we don't have to whine to get our needs met. We can use real words. We can ask. We don't have to demand. We don't have to say, give me food now. You know, whoa, that's not respectful. Let's try again. And we give them a good voice. Have we given you enough examples to earn a point? I think you both get a point for this oh, one. Oh, yes. And I think I'm going to give myself a point on this one, too. I think so. Just, I think you deserve just, a point. Absolutely, Chris. I was really tempted to go all Kanye on Ryan during his, his uh, bit on giving his seven-year-old voice, and I really wanted to stop his voice there for a moment, <laughs> just, just because, not because... It would have been funny. It would have been funny. <laughs> I, I, love how, I love how their child's name, first name is North, so it's Northwest. <laughs> Nice. Nice. Um, So I'm looking at your score pad over there. Have you added our last points on there? I've added your last points on there. It appears that I won. I mean, can you verify that with me? Indeed. Kayla has won this round. I'd love to hear that. How amazing that when this episode is actually published, it'll go from Northwest to, I'd like to thank Ryan and Kayla. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to thank Ryan <laughs> for being on the podcast. Well played, today. Chris, because now they got the giggles. I have to have context. <laughs> That's well right. done, Good Chris job. Turner. If you have a question for us that will fit into 140 characters, you may tweet it to us at tapestryibc. If you require a bit more room, you can email us at tapestry at irvingbible.org. You may also find us on Facebook at tapestryibc. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Just search for Tapestry Adoption Podcast. You may also subscribe from our website, tapestryministry.org. Thank you for listening.